I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. Hello and welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Parr where I interview some of the greatest sports athletes on the planet and this week's is John Potter. He was part of the Great Britain team that won hockey gold at the 1988 Olympic Games. And now he's at the top of his game in marketing and business. John is a managing director at Moet Hennessy. Fantastic chat with him. We'll talk a bit more about that in just a moment. But first of all, I want to say sorry that I've been away. It's been a couple of months break since we were last on the best in the world. But it's been a life-changing experience for me. I've left from my time in Qatar. I'm now based in the UK. I'm here as a freelance sports broadcaster so I can concentrate even more time on the best in the world and I'm going to have other projects lined up which I will keep you posted about and I'll give you all that kind of of information on the website that is richardparr.net and of course you can follow me on Twitter at richard underscore parr. All of those details are there. But it's been a busy few months since I've made that transition from Qatar to the UK. I've spent some time on safari in Kenya. I've been to Thailand and Phuket, see a very good friend get married. I've been to Paris. I've been to the Euros. I saw England versus Russia in Marseille. Don't worry, I didn't get tear gas. I didn't throw any chairs. I was not involved in any of that violence. I actually stayed a bit outside of Marseille in, I think it's, they pronounce it Aix-en-Provence or Aix-en-Provence, I can't do it. I don't know why I'm doing a terrible French accent as well. But just outside there. Also went to Toulouse to see Spain versus Czech Republic. Great ball from Iniesta for Gerard Piquet to head the ball in. And then I was supposed to be leaving. I was supposed to be going back to the UK. But unfortunately, my flight with EasyJet got cancelled. Something due to traffic control at Gatwick Airport or something to do with that. So... Looking at all the options, me and my friend, we decided to see if we could go to see Portugal, Iceland. And after contacting a few people on Twitter, it actually turned out to be a very lucky day. Because uh, these two guys, I want to name them, Domenico Rossi and Ronzo Riezzo. I believe that's how you say it. Apologies if I've said it wrong. But they had won two free tickets courtesy of Turkish Airlines, but were unable to go. And they kindly passed them on to us and we were able to see Portugal face Iceland, a one-all draw. 
Really good game. Fantastic hospitality from Turkish Airlines. So, you know, when some bad things happen, such as a flight being cancelled, they can always be turned into something good, like going to see Cristiano Ronaldo play. So that was a really good experience, a really good trip. We'll see how England and the other teams get on in the Euros. John and I talk about it, that in the podcast. He's a big West Ham fan, as well as being a 1988 gold medal winner. So many interesting things he talks about, particularly in team building and what he's learned from hockey that he now uses in the business world. So if you're interested in high performance and team building, not only in sports, but in business, I'm sure those of you who like reading Forbes and Time and The Economist, you'll find some really top information here from one of the top marketers in the whole world, John Potter. But just before we start that, I just want to mention my sponsor. This week's sponsor is Audible. You can get a free audiobook download from Audible and a 30-day free trial. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash best. That's audibletrial.com forward slash best. That can make you smarter by listening to a brand new audiobook. And by helping you, you help me, which helps keep the show going and we can learn more from the best in the world. Just like who's up next, it's John Potter. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. John Potter, part of Great Britain's Olympic winning hockey team. Welcome to the Best in the World with Richard Parr. So that victory was back in 1988. So why don't you first tell our listeners what you're up to these days? Wow, yeah, 1988 seems like a long time ago. <laughs> so, um, well, I live in uh, Connecticut in the United States of America, and uh, I'm a marketing guy. So, um, I work for uh, Moet Hennessy, um, run one of their business units here in the US. So I've been in the US nine years, and uh, married with uh, four kids who all sound American, and enjoying life in sunny Connecticut. But you're still very much English at heart, I'm guessing, by looking at your Twitter and all the <laughs> yes. sports results I've seen over the weekend. Yeah, yeah, very, very English at heart. And my two boys, who were, uh, I think, 10 and 8 when we moved here, are still very uh, English and big, you know, England and West Ham fans. And my two girls, who were five, sometimes get a little bit confused <laughs> about whether they should be supporting the US or, or Britain. Um, but um, we're definitely uh, definitely British. And have you taken up any of the American sports to follow? Any teams you watch? Anything like that? Uh, well, I tried playing ice hockey when I when I came here, but it's pretty difficult when you don't skate. So that was um, that was challenging. <laughs> and yeah, we 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 enjoy American sports. So um, particularly, you know, big football fan. I follow the you know, Green Bay Packers. I'm a, actually a shareholder now. Uh, oh, wow. uh, Green Bay, uh, a Red Sox fan, a Celtics fan, and a New York uh, Rangers fan. Oh, and wow. MLS, MLS is, you know, soccer is growing significantly here. So we've started to follow the uh, the New York FC team. Um, so um, oh, that's so that's, what, that's the one with Pirlo and Lampard and David it is and yeah. Yeah, the the superstar team, which is actually losing to the other team, I believe. I think the Red Bulls are doing better these days. Red Bulls are still doing better, yeah. So, uh, but but MLS here is is really really growing well, and I I, I still mm. think that yeah, the US the opportunity for the US to win the World Cup is just increasing every year. 
Mm, yeah, they're, they're certainly looking better, especially under Klinsman. And if we go back to your early childhood, I hear you were a pretty talented footballer and, and pretty good at cricket. So what made you ultimately choose hockey? Um, well, I, I suppose I was, as a kid, I was just into sport. And, you know, typically then it was, I played football, I played for, you know, my school and for the district and the county. Uh, cricket was my first love. And um, and I started playing hockey when I was about 14. And when I got to the age of about 15, sorry, 16, 17, around about then, I had a choice one summer to make between uh, going to Gloucester on a, on a contract to play cricket uh, over the summer down at Gloucester or... Um, play for England schoolboys, uh, hockey. And I chose hockey mainly because I thought, A, I was better at it. Uh, and I thought I could actually go further with hockey. Uh, but also because I had this love of, of travel. My, my mother's actually from Burma. And as a kid, I was sort of surrounded by, you know, two different cultures, English culture, Burmese culture. Uh, and I always wanted to travel. And I felt with hockey that if I, um, progressed and did well in hockey I had the opportunity to travel so I so I chose hockey mm. well in fact I saw on your Twitter one of your places on the list where you want to go this year is Santiago anywhere else yeah. you'd like to go this year um well I had in fact this weekend I was supposed to be in Santiago but my trip got cancelled um I think you know I like exploring the U.S. So I still want to get to you know I've been to 35 states there's a few states I want to get to like New Mexico uh, Cuba's high up on the list, um, and I, of all the continents I haven't, or areas of the world I haven't explored much, is then South America. Mm. So uh, you know, getting down to um, you know countries in South America is definitely a priority. Hence to Santiago. Will you get a chance to go to Rio in the summer? See uh, any no, of the Olympics? No, no. no, unfortunately not. Oh, well, that, that's a shame. I'm hoping to be there trying to see some of the uh, the great athletes in action. Um, just going back to your early days of, of learning hockey and, and, and playing, and one of the things we've got in common is uh, we both went to the University of Southampton, al- right. albeit different years. Um, how much did their uh, their hockey team and their, their teams around help at all? Or what was your time like uh, back in Southampton, back in those days? Well, I just... I. I taken a year out from um, between school and university and actually in that year out which was 1980 long time ago 1983 uh, I actually broke into the England team at that stage uh, and played in um, the European Cup of 83. Uh, My first international was in um, the home internationals in 83. So when I went to college when I went to uh, Southampton I had just become an international uh, player uh, and uh, so I had a rather odd relationship at university where I, I spent very few weekends there uh, but the time playing for the university was great and um, first year we struggled the third my third year final year we lost in the semi-final of the university's tournament and we had a really good team you know great great bunch of guys we played a particular way and uh, it was really enjoyable so I think I think for me the university part of it was uh, enjoyment and, and seeing how far we could take a team that wasn't traditionally a strong hockey team how far we could take it and uh, we got very close we lost to Exeter on penalty strokes in the semi final mm. um, so it was um, it was good 
Oh wow! And and a year later, in 1984, you were yep. in the Olympics. You, you got bronze, and you were one of the youngest players in in that yep. team. Did that matter? Was was it daunting at all? Well, it was. It was a. It was a surprise that we went because we didn't qualify, um, and we only went when the Russians boycotted in '84. So we had a very very short period of time um, to get to get into uh, into um, shape, as it were. Uh, we'd all continued training, but we didn't think we were going. Um, and I'd got into the, the Great Britain team in December of the previous year, 83. Um, and again, through some odd sort of politics where a lot of England players had refused to play for Great Britain. Um, and oddly enough, I happened to live near to the training camp. So one training weekend, I got a call saying, can you come to the training camp? Because a lot of players hadn't turned up. And did enough to actually keep my place, and mm. went to went to Hong Kong, and then went to the '84 Olympics, and and you sort of turned up in '84 Olympics because we were such underdogs, and we spent the first week or so walking around trying to spot you know people like Sebastian Coe and other great athletes. So it felt like you were still watching it, mm. you know, you you weren't really participating. Mm. Um, and then the tournament started, and and we did well, and we kept winning or. Uh, not losing and and I remember getting we beat the Dutch um, and my father had come out and he had to leave after the Dutch game and we beat the Dutch which was remarkable um, and Ian Taylor scored a you know saved a penalty stroke and all sorts of things went our way and my father said to me well it's been a good run but um, you play Pakistan tomorrow so it's going to come to an end tomorrow sort of thing because he left <laughs> and um uh, Confidence drew, building, <laughs> yeah. And, well, actually, probably reality, given given um, our past results against them, and, mm. and actually we held them to a draw and got into the semi-finals. Um, and we were so disappointed to lose the semi-final to West Germany, one uh, nil. We felt we should have won that game. Um, and then we had had to play Australia in in the um, third and fourth place. And I think I think the. The time when being the youngster helped was that, that there was quite an a, um, infamous team talk given by our coach or our manager, actually, at the time, where he he went round the room before the Australian game and, and basically uh, challenged every single player, apart from me, because I was, I was apparently too young, <laughs> age of 20, um, and made, made the team actually quite angry, very angry. Um, and it wasn't a, wasn't a pleasant team meeting at all. Um, and what was interesting watching it or reflecting afterwards was uh, his belief that we were scared of Australia, that we felt we'd achieved enough getting to this place and that we would look back in six months' time and realise that not winning the bronze medal was a huge mistake, but at the time we would settle for fourth. And so his whole plan was make us angry at him to prove him wrong rather than to be scared of Australia. Mm. Um, and it was quite it was quite interesting when you reflect back on a piece of sports psychology. And, yeah, we went out, we won 3-2, took yeah. the bronze. Well, um, and, that, and that was really the making of that team because uh, in winning the bronze, we were, we were thoroughly disappointed that we hadn't won the gold. And this was a team that had gone because the Russians had boycotted. We were the first reserves. We ranked 12th out of 12, and we felt we should have won it. Were you feeling uncomfortable when he didn't challenge you personally? 
Uh, no, I was just feeling pleased. I just kept my head down. <laughs> <laughs> um, though, Ro- Roger was our manager also in 88. Um, yeah, unbelievable man. Great, great manager. But when, and he had, you know, when he turned, when he turned on you, you knew it. Um, and it was always for a reason. He wasn't somebody that would pick on a player or pick on a team out of spite. It was, it was considered, it was thoughtful, but it was tough. And uh, great, great manager. I read quite a bit about the Roger and David Whitaker had put yeah. a team together with a plan over quite a few years and, uh, yep. quite a bit of the team in 84 was a bit similar in 88 yep. and one of the things that I read was there was quite a lot of mental preparation and uh, yep. other than those um, team talks just before uh, the games and the matches what would it involve during training days or other days not on match days well it was, it was it, and it evolved over the, the four years um, it was a tough physically tough regime I mean we, we were fit and um, you would be run into the ground, um, and then they would pick you up and run you again. Um, so it, it wasn't a the training training camps were tough, um, and and fit, I mean just physically demanding. Uh, we had a system of play that if you bought into and you could execute, you're in the team. If if you were one of the most talented players in the country, but you couldn't play the system or didn't want to play the system <clears throat> or weren't disciplined enough um, in the system, you wouldn't get picked. Um, you know, when we were away on, um, on trips, you know, one of the little sort of uh, signals of or ha- well, uh, routines that we had just to, to show discipline was that we were weighed every single morning um, and um, the weights were written up on a door. Um, so it was, it was a strict regime. But, but what, what happened over the four years was the way the manager and the coach interacted with the players changed. It changed from being a very directive, hands-on approach to being much more of coaching. And so if you look at 84, 80, you know, 85, you were told what to do. If you look at 86, 87, 88, there was far more questioning. You're asking you your opinion. When you're in this situation, what are you thinking? Um, and so you could see, A, their, their sort of trust in us um, increasing, but also our trust in each other mm. to actually find solutions increasing. And so the, the, the dynamic in the manager-coach relationship changed as that team matured and started to get a track record of performing. Um, and, and we did, you know, between 84 and 88, we'd go to tournaments and we'd regularly win medals. Um, and so that, so it was, a, it was a completely different dynamic by the time we got to, um, got to 88. So with that in mind, clearly there, there was more trust with the team, but yeah. at 88, your group stages didn't really start very well. I think you had a defeat and a draw and a few bits in between. Was there any panic there? How could you keep the belief going that, that you could win the gold? Um, well, there wasn't really any panic. Um, yeah, we, I think the first game we drew after being 2-0 up. Uh, second game, I think we won. We lost to Germany. We lost to Germany in the pool game, which was a tight game. Um, there wasn't any panic. I, me- I remember coming into the game against, I think it was Russia, where we said, you know, it's time for the, time for the players now to step up. And 
we won, uh, I think it was the Russian game, we, we won 3-0. We went into the next game, which I think was India, and we beat them you know, 3-1 or 3-0. Uh, and we started to actually play the way we we knew we could play. And a, and a number of players just started to play you know, incredibly well. Um, and I, I would you know, pick out someone like Steve Batchelor, uh, who in those games and as we went into the semi-finals, just was on fire. Uh, same with Sean, same with Imran. So, so the, the, the big players really stepped up. Um, and what was interesting, when we got to the Australian game, uh, which was the semi, because we, we finished second in the group, Australia won their group. Uh, we were very, very calm and very confident that we could actually win that game. Um, it turned into a bit of a bit of a tussle, and Sean, you know, s- scored that wonderful goal with about five minutes to go to win it. Um, but it, it's funny how momentum shifts quite quickly in a group from um, being okay, not playing. We weren't playing badly, but then just three or four core players just. You know, pick the game up and and turn that team around. Mm. Um, and 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 it was reflected. You know, this the, uh, I love this. You know, Roger Self's team talk in '84 was very very aggressive and very challenging because he thought you know we we needed to be angry at him, not scared of Australia. When he stood up to speak in '88. Um, there were a number of us who had witnessed 84 and we had all talked about it. You know, is he going to give the same talk? And uh, he stood up, he looked around the room and he said, you're the best team in the world. Go and prove it. Meeting mm. over. Wow. And we all walked, I remember we walked, walked out going, Roger Self thinks we're the best team in the world. Roger Self thinks we're the best team in the world. And we, we had so much respect for this man. Um, that um, that sort of confidence that he had in us um, meant a huge amount as we went into that game. Was it also maybe that you'd also seen him as a, a father figure? So when you went out there, you didn't want to let him down when he said something like that? Could that be involved at all? Yeah, I think I think we did see him as a father figure in, in some respects. But um, but the respect we had for him, I mean, he, he was, I mean, he is a fascinating manager because he's tough, but he would care for you. He'd make you laugh. He'd make you want to hit him. Um, but he he really got into our heads and knew how to organise and um, get players to play in a system. Um, and, and we were we were a classic counter attack team. Uh, and there's a there's a great interview I think with the Dutch captain. The Dutch had just won the bronze medal. The Dutch captain. Had, Half time in the final is interviewed, and he says, "You know, Great Britain are one 0 up. I can't see Germany coming back from that. It's like one goal, and uh, we were hugely, hugely um, disciplined, and then just so fast on the counter attack with people like Bachelor, Shawani, Curly, etc. And and those guys were deadly in front of the goal. So um, so Roger Roger had a great way with people, a great way with the team, but." He he built that team. He got he got the players he wanted, and he put them in a system he wanted. He lined them up the way he wanted, which you know weren't necessarily where you played for your club. Um, and that's um, that's what he did for four years. 
the best in the world podcast with Richard Parr. There'll be more from John in just a moment. I just wanted to remind you of our sponsor today. That is Audible. Now, a lot of different podcasts, they might take on any different type of sponsor anyway to get a bit of moolah, a bit of money. But with Audible, this is a product that I personally use. I use it in the gym. I use it on the train. I use it on the bus. I use it walking down the high street. I'm trying not to be antisocial people, but I'm listening to a good audiobook. And I wanted to talk about one that I've most recently listened to. I was going to say read, but, you know, you're you're listening. It's being read to you, in fact. And the one that I was listening to recently was The Five Elements of Effective Thinking. It was quite a short book by Edward B. Berger and Michael Starbird, narrated by Brian Troxell. Really gets you thinking of how you can be a bit more efficient and how you can kind of Push yourself a little bit further when you have a diff. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Difficult problem, how you can make your brain, you know, effectively think. So that's a really good book to listen to. It's quite a short one. I definitely recommend it. And how about you get it for free? Why don't I just throw that out there? Why don't I give you... And my friends at Audible give you a 30-day free trial and the chance to download your very own audiobook for free, for gratis, for nada, for nothing. You can get it for free. Perhaps that could be the book I've just recommended to you, The Five Elements of Effective Thinking by Edward B. Berger and Michael Starbird. So all you've got to do to retrieve that free audiobook and 30-day free trial is go to audibletrial.com forward slash best audibletrial.com forward slash best let's return to our conversation with john potter the best in the world podcast with richard parr 
As part of your job as a marketer, I know you've had a, a lot of managerial roles and part of your job has been to structure teams. Is there anything you've taken from Roger that you use yourself? Um, <laughs> uh, well, so, yeah, there, there's things you can take from sport into, into business. There's other things you can't. I mean, like um, sportsmen spend 80% of their time training and 20% of their time actually on the field, whereas business is, you know, 90% performing and 10% preparing. Um, but I think there's a little bit around um, uh, making sure you have the right team. You know, one of the things I've always put on my, my team, my team's objectives, number one objective is team. So um, make sure you have the right people. Um, make sure you have the right people for the right, for the right task ahead of you in terms of what's required, the issue that you're facing and what's required. Um, create, create a system that everybody knows, knows their role within the system. That's the other thing we had was the, you knew your role. And I think quite often in, in businesses, people aren't sure. They're not sure about what, what they're contributing and, and how does it fit in. So um, we were very clear in 84 that our goal was to win the 88 Olympics. So, yeah, the teams I manage at work are very clear about what's our vision, um, what are the key things we need to deliver, what's their role within it. And I'm, I'm very clear about, you know, selecting people that actually can fulfill that job. Is there a place for creativity in that? Is there a place for people to oh. look beyond their roles? Oh, no, absolutely. And actually, I think, um, yeah, creativity works better when you're clear about the boundaries um, that you can actually uh, push against. Um, I think when people are unclear about the task or unclear about the journey they're on, that's when people are less creative because they're more worried about um, what they're doing currently. But if you're clear about uh, the boundaries and you're clear about the freedoms that people can operate in, then you get great creativity. Um, and and what about the some of the routines you may have had as a player? Are there anything you use then which you now use in your daily life at work? Um, well, there are certain things. I, I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm a great believer. I get up early every morning. I leave home at about 5.30 and I go and work out. And I'm a great believer that actually, um, personally, being physically fit is still important to me in terms of how I perform at work. Because work is grueling. You know, I travel a lot. I'm flying constantly. Um, and going across different time zones, you need to be fit. So that's important. Um, I think when you um, are looking at uh, what you want to achieve, actually being able to visualize it, um, that people can actually see what success will look like uh, is important. And I think that whole sort of uh, visualiza visualization techniques that sports teams use are, are, are important. Uh, communication. Um, the, the thing we had in that team of 84-88 was great communication. When we meet now, you know, we can finish each other's sentences. We, we, it's very natural because we spend a lot of time together and the communication was strong. Um, it, at business, it's, it's more challenging because you've got lots of tasks to do and your team is halfway across the United States of America, across the world. So putting in uh, structures to help communication. You know, at the moment, I have a team that is based, you know, half the team is in Napa, half the team is in New York, and we talk every Monday at... Um, 3 p.m. New York time 
and we're just we're just catching up with each other about what we're doing, what are the key issues, any questions, any uncertainty. So that over communication, I think, is hugely important. Do you do any team building exercises at all? We 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 do some. I mean, we don't do it for the sake of doing it. Mm. Um, but what we do do, first of all, we we set out any team I I manage, we set out very early to, to define the vision, our, our success metrics, whether that be volume, profit, um, cash flow, etc. And then we work out very clearly what are the key um, initiatives or pillars, as we call them, that we want to pursue and what's the culture we want to create. So you know, this, this team I've been running since January, the first thing we did is actually write down a charter about how we wanted to, to work, what sort of business do we want to create um, and, and silly little things like, you know, we're, we're a very flat organization, so um, we're constantly working. Um, so one of the rules mm. we put into place was, you know, no emails at weekends. Mm. Uh, and just to allow people to get away the weekend. You know, I'm sure, you know, I work at weekends, but I won't email any of my team. And I don't expect and I don't get emails back from them. Um, so we we create those sort of culture and that charter of how we want to behave together, and we call each other on it when we see it when it's good when it's bad. So do we do a lot about team work per se or you know team exercises? Not necessarily, but we do put in place. I do put in place very strong sort of um, how are we going to behave and work together, and what sort of what sort of business would we be proud of? not just in terms of financial performance, but in terms of the culture we want to create for our teams. That's great. It's almost like you, you're giving your staff like a, a mental reset at weekends just to get them ready for the next week ahead. I really like that. Exactly. So, so what, what excites you most about your role? It seems to be something that you're quite interested and passionate about. What what, what excites you most at the moment? Um, well, the thing that's always exciting me is is growth. Um, and, um, and, and again, actually, I think taking, take, taking from that team of 84, 88, I, I like to create businesses and teams that go beyond what they thought was possible, uh, and actually achieve things that people say you can't do. Um, and as we went into 84, you know, people would say, oh, you, you know, you're there to make up the numbers. When we came back from 84, a lot of people said you were lucky. You know, that, that, that was it. Well done. You know, luck. Um, and what I love doing in businesses is turning things around. Uh, and the brands I've worked on, the business I've worked on, and the places I've worked in, whether it be, you know, the, spent three years in the Czech Republic, spent three years working across Africa. Uh, I managed a, US, a part of a U.S. business through the Great Recession here a few years ago. Um the thing I've always really enjoyed is turning things around, uh, achieving more than people thought, and actually creating teams and people that look back on it and go, A, that was great, but secondly, that was fun. We really enjoyed that time when we did this. In those situations, is it a matter of working harder or just working differently? Uh, working smarter, yeah, um, and and I think um, being really clear about what the issue is. Um, yeah, you know, I, I love that line in the Apollo thirteen film when 
when it blows up and the famous, you know, Houston, we have a problem. And the controller stands up and says to his team, he says, don't guess, you know, work the issue. Uh, and removing guess, guessing or personal beliefs and getting to the heart of an issue uh, and then finding the creativity to solve it, uh, I think is, th those are the two things I love. You know, what, what's really the problem here? What's really going on? And then what are the creative solutions that you can, you can actually bring to the brand or bring to the business that are going to solve it? Well, I know you're very busy, so I won't keep you for too much longer. I've just got two more questions to ask yep. you. One of them was going to be, um, who would you most like to spend a day with right now? But uh, when I was looking at your Twitter earlier, <laughs> I noticed that you'd recently spent some time with Jensen Button, obviously a former yeah. Formula One world champion. What was that like? What was he like? Uh, he, he was tremendous. I mean, I think it was a better day for me than for him <laughs> uh, because his car, it was the Montreal Olymp um, Formula One race, and his car broke down after about 10 laps and we're a sponsor. And I ended up sitting next to him in a very small sort of hospitality area. And um, what an unbelievably charming, smart and fun guy. Uh, you know, world champion, really, really easy to talk to. Just come out of a race which would have been hugely disappointed for him and was charming and, and very insightful. So that, that was, for me, special. I think for him, <laughs> he'd probably rather been on the track. Um, at the if you said to me somebody else, then at the moment, yeah, being a West Ham fan, I think it's um, pretty straightforward. I, you know, spending a day with uh, Paye would be um, mm. would be tremendous. I mean, what a what a stunning athlete. Yeah, and he could drag this France team all the way to success at Euro twenty sixteen. Who knows? Well, well, I hope not because I think if England now um, win the next game, I think they probably play France. Quite but, possibly, I think that's but, how it's um, looking. But what a what a remarkable soccer player! Yeah, fantastic. Well, John, thank you so much for your time today. Just before we go, maybe you could give our listeners how they can follow you on Twitter or any other social media or websites that they can follow you and your brand and anything else you'd like to pass out to the world. Um, well, my t Twitter and Instagram handles are uh, John J O N Potter Six, so they're quite easy to remember. John without an H, Potter 6. And, um, I, yeah, nothing, I just enjoyed the conversation. Uh, re recapping the, the time of 84, 88 is always fun. Uh, very special team, very special moment. And um, I'm still enjoying the journey. Fantastic. Well, we'll hope to follow your journey on Twitter and Instagram. John Potter, thank you for being the best in the world. Thanks. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. I think I've mentioned before on this podcast that I was inspired by people such as Tim Ferriss, Lewis Howes, The Art of Charm, those type of podcasts to get into the podcasting business, into the podcasting world. They get some of the real thought leaders and business leaders and tech leaders of the world and get their thoughts on productivity and effectiveness and all these different spheres in part of the business world and I've been inspired by it and this is what this podcast brings but from a sports sense looking at how we can improve our everyday lives from the top people in sport and I think John Potter has been the perfect example of what I've wanted 
from this show. He is a guy who dominated the hockey world. He won Olympic gold in 1988. He won a bronze before. He won a silver in a World Cup. And he built his way up. You know, he learned from his mistakes and he finally became a champion. And it was so interesting to hear what he had learned from his time as a sportsman, which he's brought to the business world. And I think that really shows what we can take from some of these top stars and put into our everyday life. So I thoroughly enjoyed that chat with John Potter. And I've got many more great guests lined up in the future from all different worlds of sport and I really think we can benefit from their knowledge and expertise. If you want to listen to any previous podcasts, don't forget we've got all of the previous shows at richardparr.net. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes to the best in the world with Richard Parr. We're also on Stitcher. Look at the Facebook page, that's the best in the world with Richard Parr. Follow me on Twitter at Richard underscore Parr. Thanks so much for listening to this show. We've got more great shows coming up. I really appreciate your time. But for now, have a great week. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money.